brief message, because the main focus that we want to have tonight is really the idea of communion as we stop our study in Chronicles and talk about the death of Christ on the cross. You know, of all the services that we do out here at church, this is probably one of the more somber ones we do. We know what happens. We know what gets to happen Sunday morning. If you come out here for the sunrise service on Sunday morning at 7.15, what a blessing that is. There's an excitement. There's a joy because we get to celebrate the empty tomb. And what we talk about on Sunday at 8.30 and 10 will be an excitement too because we get to talk about how Christ is one. And since the tomb is empty, what that means for you and for our lives. But for tonight, we really stop and just focus on his death. And we really keep our focus just on that. What did this death on the cross mean? I was doing some studying and some preparation for this. I just want to throw this out here at you. The word death, or or some of its derivatives, you know, die, dying, dead. It's used over 1,300 times in the Bible. 1,300 times. The word death itself is used almost 400 times in the Bible. Words like uh, dead over 300, die nearly 300, died over 200. There's a reason for this. Because the Lord always wants us to focus on one thing. You're going to die. And since you're going to die, what are you going to do with that information? I heard a quote one time that says, at birth it's messy, at death it's messy, and in between we try to forget about that. There's a lot of truth to that. Not a very cheery conversation to go home tonight and say, hey, kids, let's all talk about dying. We don't want to do that. We try to forget that. We try to keep that out of our mind. We don't want to do wills. We don't want to plan that out. We don't like to do anything. It's kind of interesting. We go through a season of life where we don't even think death can happen. And then we get to a point in life where I run into people, and I'm not to this generation yet. They're almost excited about it. Have you run into the people that like got their cemetery plots and they're so excited? You need to go see where I'm going to be. You know, I had somebody tell me one time, we have really good neighbors, you know, and they're excited about this. You know, the Bible talks about our body being a tent. And you've heard me tell my stories before on camping. I have a love-hate relationship with camping. If it's a fifth wheel with air conditioning and TV, I love camping. If it's a tent, I don't want to do it. The Bible says that our bodies are tents. So therefore, you don't want to live forever in a tent. It comes a time and a place where you stop and you say, I'm ready to get rid of this tent. And according to John 14, get my mansion in heaven. So therefore, death is not defeat. The Bible calls it sleeping. And this has been prophesied since the beginning. In fact, the first prophecy in the Bible that you see in Genesis chapter 3 deals with this idea of death. And this is the thing from the beginning. Dustin, do you mind putting that first slide up there real quick? I just kind of wanted to share with you here just a couple of these verses. First prophecy in the Bible, Genesis 3. I will cause hostility between you and the woman. This is God speaking to the serpent. So between you and the woman and between your offspring and offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. First prophecy, we're already talking about death. We're talking about the death of Christ on the cross. He's basically saying, Satan, you will be defeated. Your head will be crushed. Your head will be stripped. But you're also going to get his heel, making a reference to Christ on the cross. Paul keeps the same idea going in Romans 16. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. So ever since the beginning in Genesis 3, we've been building up to this idea of death. This is an ongoing theme in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, constant verses and chapters about the death of the Messiah. In fact, Jesus constantly talked about this himself too. i got two references I want to share with you here real quick out of the book of Matthew. Dustin, do you mind going to the next slide there real quick? Look at this. 
Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, Matthew 20, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, to mock and to scourge and to crucify. Third day will rise again. That's pretty straightforward. Jesus knew why he came. He came to die. So what we do here tonight, what we set aside for tonight, is to focus on his death because that's what Christ came to do. Look at Matthew 26, six chapters later. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. This is exactly what he's here to do, was to die. We gave a message years ago where we talked about Christmas. It was actually a Christmas message. And we talked about how Christmas is really just the first step in a 33-year journey to his death. Because that's the only reason he's here. See, and we have a tendency to want to skip over this. See, around Christmas time, we just want to focus on the babe in the manger. That's always exciting, and the shepherds coming, and the wise men coming. Then we come to this day. We try to make this day go very quickly, because we just want to jump ahead to the empty tomb on Sunday morning. But you've got to stop and talk about what this day means and represents. We have to. I heard a pastor teach one time about how sometimes we mess up the gospel message. We go to people and say, God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life and he wants to bring you peace and joy and happiness. And that is all true. That is all true. But Jesus died on the cross because I'm an ugly sinner that was going to hell. And that sin had to be dealt with. And that's what we stop and deal with tonight is the ugliness of sin and how it had to be taken care of. So this idea of death, as we're in Romans 5 and 6, you're going to see this a lot. I've got one more verse here I just want to show you real quick. Look, Romans 6, 9 has it all. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. If you're a student of the Greek, the word for dead, dies, and death are all three different words. They're making a point here. The whole emphasis... Christ has risen from the dead. He dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. So let's talk about what that death means and represents. So there's over 1,300 references in the Bible to death and dying. Guess what? In Romans 5 and Romans 6, over 25 times these words are mentioned. Jump right into this with me, please, will you? Romans 5. Let's start in verse 6. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone will even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you came in here tonight, and you came in here tonight and you don't have a real good outlook on who you are, these verses should encourage you because Christ said you were good enough to die for. Now, don't hear me wrong. He didn't say you were good. He says, I'm still going to die for you, though. That's how much you're loved. And so when Satan tries to convince you that nobody cares, nobody understands, nobody loves you, these three verses in Romans 5, 6 through 8 tell you that God cares and he loves you. Look at verse 6 one more time. It says, mine says that in due time Christ died for the ungodly. We were still without strength. Some of your translations say we were utterly helpless. We were powerless. Why did Jesus die for you? You brought nothing to the table. You know, we just sang that last song in worship about grace. That's what grace is. God is giving you something you do not deserve. You cannot earn. I still think in some ways we think, well, God loved me and that's why he saved me. Why? Because he knew I'd be eloquent with my words. He knew I could be a witness. He knew I could lead worship. He knew I could lead a prayer group. No. The Bible makes it clear that you were without strength. You were utterly helpless. You were completely powerless. And he still did it. 
That's grace. That's love. I mean, verse 7. Maybe somebody would die for a righteous man. Maybe somebody would die for a good man. But what about people that are just complete losers? I remember telling you the story one time where my friend was telling me this. A guy called him up late at night. And he was in one of those just, just dark funks of life. And he started out by saying, he says, I am such a loser. And the guy's response on the phone was, well, we are all. That's what we all are. Once you learn that, all of a sudden grace makes sense. See, grace doesn't make sense if you think you're actually something. Once you start realizing how utterly powerless and helpless we are, dare I use the word pathetic, all of a sudden grace starts to make sense. Because if you don't understand that, well, of course Jesus died for me. No, I brought nothing to the table. Verse 8 of Romans 5, God demonstrates his own love towards us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you to clean up your act. He didn't wait for you to get it figured out. He said, I'm going to die for you and just love you. And what a beautiful picture that is. Verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. His blood saves us from wrath. Hell. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Think about this. If as an enemy of God, he was willing to save us, imagine what he's trying to do to us now as a friend. I mean, think about that. As an enemy of God, he was willing to die for us. And now as his friend, think of the eternal life that he's going to give us. It's amazing. Verse 11, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Reconciliation means to be made right. This is what we rejoice in. We rejoice in this idea that I was a sinner bound for hell, and now I'm saved. Guys, I just want to tell you this, and I want to make this abundantly clear. We live in a world where we are the minority on almost every moral issue now. We really are. So, that moral war, we no longer represent the majority. We live in a world now where so many things that we would consider wrong are considered right and actually celebrated. We live in a world today where the idea of us trying to say that there is one way to get to heaven through Jesus Christ is laughed at, it's mocked, and it's looked at as being ridiculous. So what I've seen in some churches and what I've seen in some people is since that message is just too straightforward and since that message is too harsh to the world, we water it down. And we just talk, talk, talking about God and love and in many ways. Guys, we've got to make this abundantly clear tonight. There is one way to get to heaven that is through Jesus Christ and that is the only way. And it's because we were sinners awful, horrible people. I was born a sinner. I lived a sinner. I am a sinner. And that sin has to be dealt with. And that's why we're here tonight. Because if Jesus did not have to die on the cross, then why did he do it? If there truly was another way for heaven, would that not have been figured out? That's why in the garden he prayed, Lord, if there's another way, there isn't. So when Jesus said, Lord, if there's another way, take this cup from me, he prayed that three times. What was God's response to that prayer? Silence. Why? Because the answer was, there is no other way. We have to understand this. And as time goes on, it's going to become very easy for us to want to water down the gospel message. And we have to remember the purpose of tonight is to say, I can't water this down. I have to keep proclaiming this. Because think about this. We're going to run into co-workers, friends, and family, and just people in the supermarket. And guess what? Those people are going to spend eternity either in heaven or hell. I mean, they are. And as we have these run-ins with people, does it, does it ever concern us that that cashier 
is going to go someplace for all of eternity. Does it ever concern us that the teachers of our children, does it ever concern us that the people that we just run into on a regular basis, they're going to spend eternity somewhere? Now, I'm not saying this to have some type of pep rally and say, go out and get them. It has to be spirit-led and you have to care. But the purpose of tonight is to say, listen, sin is so ugly and so awful. Hell is so real that Jesus says, I have to die for this. And that's what we're here to talk about. See, stay in Romans 5. Look at verse 15. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, Adam... Much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. So Adam screwed it up. And since I'm a descendant of Adam, I've inherited sin from him. Now before you say, well, that's not really fair. Okay, so let's take away I've inherited sin. I was actually born a sinner. Well, that's not really fair either. I'm born into a sinful world. So as soon as I'm born into this world, I'm born a sinner. Well, that's not really fair either. Okay, let's take that away. Well, I've committed sin. Now, if anybody here wants to get out of that, they can try. I've mentioned to you before, many times, I have met two people in my life that claim they have never sinned. I am fascinated by talking to them. So I am born a sinner, I have inherited sin, and I just plain out have done sin. So I'm a sinner. One man brought sin into the world, Adam, but one man, Jesus Christ, can take the sin away. Verse 18, Therefore, as through one man's offense, Adam, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, Jesus, the free gift, came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Guys, just look at verse 18 one more time. The Bible is not complicated. Christianity is not complicated. The salvation message is not complicated. It says in the book of Corinthians, it talks about the simplicity of Jesus. Please look at verse 18. One man brought sin, condemnation. One man, Jesus, brings salvation. that's, That's all it is. That is all it is. I do not have to get into theological debates with you. I don't have to sit here and argue what somebody said 200, 300, 400, 500 years ago. I don't. I just have to tell you verse 18. Hey, guess what, guys? One man brought sin into the world, and then one man, Jesus, took out the sin. And that's what we're here to talk about, verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, Jesus, many will be made righteous. Isn't that the truth? We have something going on right now at the Irvin House. Our youngest, Tyrus, who's going to be four here in just a couple weeks, he will get out his Imaginex toys. He loves his Imaginex toys. And he has all the Imaginex toys, all the DC superheroes, and all of them. He gets them all out. He plays with them. They're all over the floor. And then we say, Tyrus, you need to pick them up and put them away. He comes to us and says, I didn't get them out. (laughs) You know, buddy, I'm dumb, but I'm not stupid. I know you got them out. I didn't get them out. Somebody else did. Now, there's a little bit more background to this story. About a year ago, Tyrus was having a real hard time learning to talk. And about two years ago, he had to get tubes in his ears. And so since he had a little bit late start, he got verbally a late start. And so there's times where Dawn and I stop and we say, gosh, you realize a year ago, he was saying like two words since at the most in order. And we, and we celebrated when he got to three words. And now he's to four. And now he's like eight, nine, ten, you know, all of this in a row. So on one hand, I celebrate the fact that that thank the Lord has come around and everything's working perfectly. And now he uses his words to do what? Lie. That's sin nature. I didn't get him out. Who got him out? 
And this is the funny thing. He'll throw any of the seven kids under the bus. Any one of them, he will throw under the bus. And he's smart enough to pick the one that's not there. So today, he got the toys out. You got to pick them up. I didn't get them out. Who got them out? Brooke. Okay. Brooke's going to be 16. She's at school. She didn't get the Imaginex out, buddy. Uh Uh-huh. No, she didn't. I saw her. No, you didn't. You little sinner. We all have it. We all have sin nature. And just like somebody got the Imaginex out and made a mess, somebody has to clean up the mess. Adam made a mess. I've made a mess. Somebody has to clean up my mess, and I can't do it. You've heard me say many times before, the only currency accepted in heaven is the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're here tonight to talk about. Through one man, sin came. Through one man, sin is taken care of. Now, the sad part about tonight is, this is where we almost have to stop the message. Because to go past this point, you get into the resurrection. And and we will, obviously. Look at verses 4 and 5 of chapter 6. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead. See, now we get to talk about him being raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we should also walk in newness of life. See, that's Sunday right there. Raised from the dead, newness of life. Verse 5, if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. See, that's Sunday. That's the fun of the sunrise service and the 8.30 and the 10. And we're going to talk about newness of life and resurrection. But at this moment, right here, right now, it's all about death. It's all about death. We emphasize that he died, but we also emphasize that he lost. One of the verses I wrote down here for tonight was 1 Corinthians 15. 54 and 55, and it was really cool. I love it when the Holy Spirit brings it together because the first worship song we sang tonight was what? Victory in Jesus. And that's what it talks about in 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, death, where is your stink? There is no sting from death anymore because we have victory in Jesus. See, here as we stop the message and we stop the message at his death, you have to put yourself back in the mindset of the apostles and the disciples 2,000 years ago. As Christ hung on the cross... And as he died, and they pulled that body off, not a single one of them said, Hey guys, I'll see you Sunday morning. It's going to be great. No. And we talk about this, I think, every sunrise service, every Sunday morning, you'll hear me make the point. Why did they go to the tomb on Sunday? They went to the tomb on Sunday to see a dead body. That's why they went. They did not go to the tomb on Sunday to say, Hey guys, I can't wait to see the stone roll away. This is going to be a grazing. Great. Remember, he, he promised us. He promised us. Dustin, can you just go back one verse, uh, one slide there real quick? Remember what Jesus said. Look at the first passage there. Jump down to the end. Deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. He says, guys, third day he will rise again. But we forget that, don't we? So right now, when we deal with this world and we deal with all the pain and suffering, some of you brought in physical problems. Some of you brought in spiritual issues. Some of you brought in mental struggles. Guess what? The tomb is empty. So since the tomb is empty, that means death has been defeated. That means this body, this tent can be put away. That means I can walk in victory because I know that I walk in grace, just like we sang. Just like I know I can walk in the victory of Jesus because I know that victory has come. So even though we stop at this point here in Romans 5 and say, guys, he died. I can't leave you hanging. 
guess what? He rises again. And that is the proof. That is the proof that death is defeated. Because just as we read here in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, if you're buried with him into death, you will rise with him into new life. Verse 5, if you've been united together in the likeness of his death, you'll also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6, knowing that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. We should no longer be slaves of sin. Don't you want to be done being a slave to sin? I tell you, the Lord, in devotions the last couple of weeks, keeps giving me this verse out of Galatians. I no longer live, but Christ has been crucified in me. And this verse is basically saying, Paul is saying, is you have to look at yourself as a dead person. Because guess what? Dead people aren't tempted. They're not tempted by lust. They're not tempted by pride. They don't get their feelings hurt. And so I want to be dead to those things. But yet this flesh keeps on getting riled up. And so when I see the death of Christ on the cross, what Paul tries to make this point now in Romans 6 is, listen, since you saw the example that Christ has died, you can be set free too. Look at verse 7. For he who has died has been freed from sin. You're free from sin when you have died in Christ, verse 8. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we should also live with him. And there's the verse 9 that we started out with. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Jesus died so I could live. Jesus rose so I could have eternity in heaven. Jesus said, since I died, you can die to sin. You can live victoriously in this life. And it all comes back to the message of tonight that it happened. And we can have freedom from this. And we can be set free from death. That's why we celebrate Excellent Wednesday. That's why we stop and we say, Lord... We are here to celebrate your death. Because we know the tomb will be empty Sunday morning. We know we'll get to talk about the resurrection Sunday morning. But for this night, right here, right now, the focus is death. He died so I could live. He took the punishment of sins for me. And what a blessing that is to be able to come and celebrate that here tonight. Now, before we get ready to partake of communion, anybody got any quick questions, comments here about anything that we've covered here? I just want to share something out of 1 Corinthians. Can you go with me real quick there? 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to get ready to partake of communion. Parents, obviously the kids are in here tonight. We leave it up to you if you feel your child is old enough to know and understand what communion is. We want them to be able to have a part of that. We have an open communion policy, meaning we have no church membership. Communion is open to anybody. But let's talk about this for a second, for, about this communion. Because this is what we're here to celebrate. Verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed. So just hours before his death, took bread. When he had given it, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You know, so often, as we pass out the different elements of communion, and we just kind of talk about it and we kind of look at it, we have to really realize what does this mean, what does this represent? As you get ready to partake of this, this is a picture of his body. Now, when we do communion in small groups, it's not uncommon for us to take one loaf of bread and pass it around and let people rip a chunk off of it. That's a pretty good visual picture of what Christ went through on the cross. Is this idea of a body being broken. And he says, do it in remembrance of me. Verse 25, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The cup, the juice, the color of it, it represents the blood of Christ. 
Once again, the only currency accepted in heaven. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. That's what we're here to do tonight, people, is to proclaim his death. I tell you, as a pastor, and I've been teaching for almost 20 years, it is so much fun to talk about heaven. It is so much fun to talk about what awaits us in God's grace and God's love. I love talking about the parables and the miracles. I mean, who doesn't want to talk about blind men receiving their sight and widows being getting their uh, dead children raised? Those are great stories. But verse 26, we have to talk about his death. Because that's what gives us entrance into heaven. His death. Now, this is the point I want to get to. Verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. There's a time where we examine ourselves. As we just read in Romans 5 and 6, you're dead. You're dead to sin. So when you see that sin popping back up, now is your time to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to give this to you. I want to give you that pride. I want to give you that lust. I'm going to give you that selfishness. I want to give it to you. Because you died so I can live. And I want to proclaim your death. And I want to be set free from this. And as I partake of this and this, it's a picture of what you did for me on the cross. I read one time that the closest we can ever get to the cross is during communion. This is the closest we can get. Because Jesus says, this is what represents me. So what we're going to do here is we're going to take a quick moment. We're going to pray. I want to offer up two things. Number one, if you're born again and saved here tonight, amen. This is your time to say, Lord, these are the things I'm struggling with. These are the sins that have creeped into my life. As a dead man or woman, I want to die to that sin. Number two, if you're here tonight and you've never fully stopped and said, Lord, it's you, I want to make it clear just like I did earlier. The reason he died is so you could live. Yes, he wants you to have joy. Yes, he wants you to have peace. Yes, he wants you to have happiness. And yes, he has an eternal home waiting for you in heaven. But he died to take care of your sin. And that's what we have to represent. And I want you to be able to say clearly and confidently with faith, I know my sins have been taken care of through Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we get ready to come to you as individuals and as a group. Prepare our hearts for this. Your word says, search us and try us and see if there's any iniquity in us. I pray for those here tonight that your Holy Spirit is speaking to our hearts, a heart of conviction. What areas do we need to confess to you? We want to give those to you. And Lord, if there's someone here tonight who has never stopped and said, I want that. I want that assurance that my sins are taken care of. I pray that you are speaking to their heart right now to let them know that your death takes care of that. That's why you died. And that we just need to say, I want that paid on my behalf. We come to you as individuals now, and we just give you our hearts, we give you our lives. Let's just take these to the Lord right now. Lord, there's just an excitement knowing that tonight's not the end. That we get to come back Sunday and talk about the empty tomb and the resurrection. Thank you, Lord. And as we get ready to partake of this tonight, help us to remember your death and what that means and represents. And help us to proclaim that death 
and all that we do and all that we say in your name. Amen. The guys that are helping with communion would like to come forward in the worship team.